All right. Welcome to the Homegirls with Degrees podcast. This is Elsie speaking. Unfortunately, my friend Lily could not make it today, but she definitely wanted to join. Uh, she's very excited for this special guest today. Um, this is our sixth episode, which is our first Cafecito y Cuentos. And um, we are fe featuring our first guest today. So we're so I'm very excited. Um, so we do have our cafecito or tea or water ready with us. So we're literally drinking as we're speaking. And today's episode will focus on our guest speaker's journey in the academia realm. Today we have the honor to welcome Dr. Mayra Gaona. Dr. Ga Gaona, or as she, you know, uh, she was very nice to say, you know, just call me Myra. <laughs> so Myra, she earned her BS in psychology from Dominican University, a master's in education in educational psychology, and then her PhD in school psychology from Loyola University in Chicago. Um, her research and clinical work focuses on trauma-informed schools, trauma professional development for school professionals, and the delivery of mental health interventions with newcomer immigrant youth. I am so excited for this interview and hope this helps future students who want to pursue their doctorate degree. And I really hope that this further motivates and inspires us all. For this episode, our goal is mainly to highlight Myra's profound academic journey and learn more about her resilience and pursuing higher education. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. All right. So the first question is, tell me about your background. Maybe where did you grow up? What were some values that were instilled in you from a young age? Yeah. So um, I am um, a Mexicana, a daughter of immigrants from Michoacan, Mexico. Um, and so I grew up in a Latino um, household being a first-gen student, um, you know, daughter of immigrants. And so I'm very proud of my background and my identity. And um, I grew up, um, so my family is, like I said, is from Michoacan, but we grew, um, we grew up, I think, um, so I have two, two other siblings. I have two sisters and we grew up in the Chicagoland area. And so this is where we were like born and raised. And to this day, I'm still here um, because this is, you know, the place that's, I think, like, just so, so near and dear to my heart. Um, and so um, this is where I grew up. Um, but, you know, growing up, I think I saw a lot of, similar to other, I think, kids of immigrants, I saw my parents um, really try and figure it out, right? Like, really try to, you know, echarle ganas todos los días. But, you know, there's so many circumstances, unfortunately, that um do not allow our parents to to be able to move along the way that they can that they you know that they should I should say um and so my parents you know worked um and continue to work um you know like just low-paying jobs um in factories and so um so yeah like here in the Chicagoland area mainly my parents have been working in jobs like this um prior to actually um, my family, you know, um, living here in the Chicagoland area, actually, my, my dad was an agricultural worker in California. So he lived there um, a couple years. Um, my older sister was actually born in California. 
Um, and so, you know, um, even though I never visited California in my life, I um, always kind of think about my journey um, through my parents as well. Like, I feel like my journey starts even before I was born, right? And so all of these things are, um, like, all of these places where my parents have visited or stayed or worked at, I think, have always maintained um, in my heart. Like, I've, they've always stayed in my heart. And I always like to tell people, like, this is really where I come from. And it's just such an honor to be in the spaces that I am nowadays, right? Because my parents, you know, just like the places that they come from, you know what I mean? Um, it's just like, obviously a big difference, but again, like such an honor to, to be in these spaces. And again, I'm just super grateful where I come from um, and like who I am. And I will say some of the values, um, and I already shared briefly that my parents instilled in me is just like this idea of, of hard work, like siempre charle ganas, you know? Um, and también, like another thing that I would say is like my parents always told us to be to be part of where we came from, and it didn't matter who we were, que teníamos que mantener la, la cabeza um, arriba, right? And not let anybody step over us or try to tell us well, you can't do that because you are poor, you're this, right? Um, that's, I think, another another big thing that my parents instilled in us, but I would also say just like education, um, definitely um, just like the, the idea of like pursuing higher education, pursuing education, and I think in general, um, is something that my parents really, really have valued and, and instilled that in us. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think um, a lot of us have that similar experience with the hard work and determination where our parents, you know, come to this country to work. And sometimes we even feel like that pressure, you know, we have to make it, we have to succeed because they don't work for nothing, you know? So mm -hmm. I definitely do, um, uh, you know, do sympathize with that because Oftentimes we don't tell our stories and um, and it's important to hear, you know, that you came from humble beginnings. It, it wasn't something that was really um, it, it wasn't given to you. You had to work for it. So it's mm -hmm. definitely nice to hear that you can do it, you know, regardless of your background, regardless of your parents, regardless of your socioeconomic status. I think that's crucial. Mm -hmm especially mm -hmm. achieving what you have achieved. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the second question here was, what made you pursue a higher education? And really, what was your experience within that realm? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I will say that I literally had no idea that this would be, you know, what I what I would end up doing, like if obtaining a doctor, like I literally had no idea. I think there's a lot of people who say, you know, I had this dream of becoming a doctor or of getting my PhD. Like for me, that's nothing, that's not my reality, right? And like, obviously like, you know, the, for the people that this has been their dream since they're little, I'm not trying to like, you know, talk any, any, any bad things about you, but I'm just saying like, that wasn't my reality. And so um, growing up, like I didn't have, just people around, right, around me, similar to, like, other first-gen students, like, we didn't, I don't, I didn't grew up having people around me in my close community that had um, college degrees, much less graduate degrees, right, and so when it came time to make that decision of, like, whether or not, like, you're gonna, you know, um, advance 
to college, like after high school, like it was just something, um, you know, it wasn't, I will say like, that's not a thought that I had. And so the way that I, I think my journey came, came through, like, so I am a middle child. Um, so I have a older sibling, so I have an older sister. Um, and I have um, just so much to thank my older sister for, because I think, you know, um, she definitely had um, her struggles, right? And things that she had to sacrifice and do as an older sister. And so like, you know, just a shout out to my older sister <laughs> on this episode, but she actually was like the first in our, in our family to pursue um, like a, a college, right? And so once my sister started, it was kind of like an expectation of like, okay, well, you're going to go to college too, you know? <laughs> and I was like, again, probably something not that, not something that I thought about, but it was almost like, porque tu hermana fue, like, tu vas a ir, you know, as well. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, you know, I started sort of, I went to, I mean, I went to college close to home, and so I was like, okay, well, let's just try it out, you know, let's see what this is about. Um, and so um, the first couple of years, the first, I think, well, like one or two years, I was actually undeclared and I literally had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Um, I do remember just taking a lot of like the requirements, like the requirement classes and everything. Um, I did take an intro to psych class um, in college. Um, and I feel like it was just very, you know, it was material that was so like cool to me and like I, I just naturally like gravitated towards it and it came so easy to me and I was like wow like this is so so cool um and then I started hearing just a lot more about um psychology and like who receives like mental health services and I was learning that like Latinos um you know were not the individuals who were like seeking out um a lot of this therapy and therapeutic services I was like okay what's going on and so um, I think around this time I started sort of just like declared like my major as a like, psychology major in undergrad. Um, I started getting involved in just like a couple of different um, like research and some research with some of my professors. Um, but so yeah, so that was pretty much like undergrad. And then um, I actually had an, a professor in undergrad who um, you know, I think at some point asked all of us, like a group of us, like you know like what are you what are your plans like after you um you finish right um college and I think none of us were like I don't know like you know get a job um but some of them that were like I think you guys could, could pursue like graduate degrees you know and so that was like the first time that I ever thought about that you know and like not to to be rude or to sound negative but I never thought, like, you know, my professors, all of them had PhDs, right? I don't know that it ever connected with me. Like, I could get a PhD, right? Um, and so I looked into programs. I looked into all PhD programs. Um, I think I applied, but I didn't really think anything of it. Like, I was just like, I'm not sure that I'm going to get in, but I'm just going to try it. You know what I mean? And um, I always tell people, like, I probably wouldn't advise you to do what I did where I was like oh like somebody brought up this idea and then I applied like a couple months later right like I didn't even get have time to like sit on this idea that much but I did it you know I was like whatever let's just try it you know um but I was you know 
uh, in a sense, I was prepared because I had already done some, like I had had some research experience, like I had taken some, like all the courses that I need, like research courses, I had done some volunteer experience. So I was like, kind of like prepared to apply. But I just, again, don't recommend people to like, you know, um, to, to make a decision about grad school so fast, right? And because it's just like a decision that shouldn't be taken lightly by, by any means. And so um, I applied, like I said, to a couple programs. And then um, the school psychology program was, I, I will say that that was like the one program that I applied to, uh, the only school psychology program that I applied to. I had applied broadly to like other programs like clinical psych. Um, I applied to like a community program, um, community psych program. Um, but the school psychology one, I received an interview and I don't know, it was just like, this makes sense to me. Like school psychology makes sense to me. And I really, really like this uh, program. And and so that was like, you know, um, that was a sort of like the program that I wanted to get into. And um, I do have a story too. I know I, I, I'm taking a long time explaining it sort of just like it's my okay. journey, but um and so like I said I was just very very um you know hopeful optimistic about this program and so unfortunately I was waitlisted into this program and so um you know I think for me waitlist I was like okay well there's a possibility that I I might get in but so like a couple weeks like passed by and so I think like decision day or admission day I don't know what it's called it's like April something I forget what it is but I was still on the wait list up to the to the very last day, right? That you could have potentially like accept a position in, in this program. And so I was on the wait list up till the very last day. And so I actually was like, okay, well, I didn't get into my PhD program. You know, I didn't get into this PhD program. Like, it's fine, you know? It was just kind of like sad, you know? Cause like, it was, I was this close. It felt like I was this close and I didn't get into it, right? Um, then a couple, I think maybe like a week later, I get a call saying like, hey, uh, we actually have a spot, like uh, an opening. We have a spot. And we know like, you, we know like, you know, the date where everybody's technically supposed to make a decision is like way past due. But we have a, a position, we have an opening, we have a slot for you in our program. I still remember this day and <laughs> I don't want to cry on here, but it's still to this day, like a very memorable, memorable day, you know, um, I just remember receiving that call and like crying my eyes out because I couldn't believe that that was like happening, you know, um, mm -hmm. but see, that's like my story, like my, I always tell people like, you know, for folks who are like on wait lists and stuff like that, like do not um, give up until the very last moment because that was, that was, that was a moment for me, you know what I mean? That was like something memorable that happened to me and I'm like you know like I, I just you know I it could happen to you um but essentially from there on it was just like okay well I went to that program and you know the rest is like history <laughs> well that's so inspiring to hear because I feel like a lot of us who are thinking of applying like I'm thinking of applying but I like what you said like you need to think about it because it's such a big commitment um and I think that is super important because it's a lot of money too you know that goes into paying for your schooling and, and all of that so um I, I really like that you 
you know, you shed a light on that aspect because some people may just do it because, hey, you know what, my professor's recommending it, but it's good for you or for us to check in with ourselves and really make a plan. But um, it's definitely, you know, really humbling to hear that even though you were waitlisted, you know, they still found you as a, you know, as a good candidate for the program. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that is so cool that you were able to, to still get in and, you know, to still be part of that program, even though you were waitlisted, which may, maybe for a lot of us, it means, oh my gosh, I didn't get in. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's important to just wait and see and not to just give up so easily or to get defeated by that. So yeah, absolutely. And I would also add the fact that um, it only takes one program, right, to to admit you. Like it only takes one this one um, like program to admit you. You know, like like that's you know a lot of people sensing feel discouraged. Like you know, like you could apply to 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 a couple programs, right, and feel like oh my goodness, like all of these schools potentially are gonna reject me or are gonna. Um, like I'm not going to get in, but like I said, I think it only takes one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's an, I think an important reminder too. Yes. Thank you. I, I want to ask you way more questions about all that. That's so, that's a lot to, you know, just process because you said a lot. So that's, that's really, you know, good to unpack. Um, so the other question here was what were the barriers you had to overcome to make it where you are today? So maybe barriers, maybe like your own anxiety, maybe your own negative thinking about yourself, imposter syndrome. I know that's huge, um, especially for people of color that are, you know, trying to complete their 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 uh, graduate, you know, like degree. Um, so can you speak more about the barriers you had to overcome? Yes, definitely. And so I, you know, just um describe I think just like a very very nice experience right the just like the experience of knowing that I got in you know um and it was definitely I think on a high that whole summer you know before starting my program like I was like okay you know this is so exciting like no one's ever done this in my family um and it was just you know just like so like so exciting you know um in general but it was definitely don't want to sugarcoat just how uh don't want to sugarcoat or or um well how do you call it romanticize um the journey right because it wasn't all sweet right um and so like definitely went through a lot of barriers um and so um one of the first things is definitely that the first couple years like my first and second year of the program um so this was at a five-year program. And so the first two years, I think, were just, it was so isolating. It was so hard for me to get used to a grad program. Um, but I'll start off just by saying it was so isolating. Um, I did attend um, a PWI. And so that's like a primarily white institution for folks who are, might not know what a PWI is. But um, that meant that I was only one of a few folks who were students of color. And so I didn't really, for me, I've always naturally been, and I'm pretty sure this is like a lot of us, but we naturally gravitate towards like other folks who look like us, who speak like us, right? Uh, for me, like it just gives me so much comfort to be able to 
uh, tell someone like in Espanol, like hablar, you know, like bilingue um, and to be able to like, you know, code switch. Um, and so that was something obviously that I couldn't do in my program, like, you know, um, right off the bat. And so it was just very hard for me, right, to to find my place, I think, in the in the program, in the system, right, in the school. I was like, oh, like, oh, my gosh, like, these people are so different from me. And, like, I feel so lonely. And at the same time, I think, like, I was also going through isolation from the fact that, um, like, I had a very close group of friends during undergrad. And, like, we went through, like, all of the psychology courses together. And, like, you know, we graduated. And so I went from a very close-knit of just, like, friends and then, I went to grad school right after undergrad. And so um, it was also just like a shock for me. Like everyone was trying to do their own thing, right? And so like that group, I think, faded um, a little bit. And so, you know, um, those were some of the things that contributed, I think, to that isolation. Just the fact that there was like no other representation. Um, and, you know, just it was just a shock in terms of like, you know, the friend dynamics and like people who could understand um my experience and so that that's one thing um I will also say like I, I um I think I already mentioned um it was just a huge culture shock in terms of like how different graduate school is than than undergrad um I think in undergrad I think there's always at least personally it always felt like somebody was checking on me right like I had an advisor um well I had an advisor in graduate school too but it was very different but it was like in undergrad had an advisor they're checking up on you making sure that you're meeting like all your coursework that you're like you know filling like I guess just meeting all the milestones that you have to meet right in your undergrad career um and they it always almost always feels like somebody was holding your hand through undergrad but in grad school it was just kind of like okay you're here you gotta do this all on your own like it felt like a shift in independence right um and at first obviously like it, it just felt horrible I was like I don't know what I'm doing like am I doing this incorrectly like um am I missing something like who's gonna check up on me if I'm doing all these things like I don't know it was just so strange at the beginning like it was a huge culture shock and I was like I don't know what to do with myself um there was also a culture shock in the sense that um again this is related to I think just uniquely to my journey I came from a HSI, Hispanic Serving Institution, to a PWI, and so essentially some of the same things that I already discussed, like, you know, like, I'm in a different school, like, all these people don't look like me, right, and so that was another piece uh, to this culture shock. Um, definitely another, one of the barriers was imposter syndrome, and just, like, that anxiety over, um, unfortunately, comparing myself to other peers, Um and like I, I'm saying, um, a lot of my peers are were white, and some of them have college-educated parents. Um, and so, you know, for me, one of the things, and I actually did a live with somebody this past weekend. We were just talking about how, how um, like, you know, for me personally, like, one of the things that I've been, always been, like, insecure about is, like, my speech and the way that I communicate. Um, and you know, I've always done that. Like, that's one of the biggest things. Like, I've always compared, like, my speech to, like, that of other peers, like, for example. And so, like, that's one of the, one of the things that I've compared myself on. Like, oh, my gosh, like, they, they use very fancy terminology. They know how to carry themselves so well. 
and I'm over here like not knowing how to do certain things or like you know not knowing what is the etiquette for like you know different meetings or like what you're supposed to show up wearing um all of those sorts of things were, were, were things that were coming up for me you know and I was like you know being very hard on myself because it's like how would you know if you've never you know if no one in your family has gone through this if your parents haven't gone through this like now you get to feel like you what's the stuff it's to look at it as a or it's to look at you know look another said, you know so that was one of the big things too like just feeling like you know like I wasn't doing things right um the imposter and piece of like I maybe I don't belong here like maybe they messed up um and I will say that happened more so like the first couple of years like the first and second year where I was like I think they messed up they're gonna find out I'm not smart enough a lot of second guessing like the things that I would say in classes like it sounds so sad but it literally was like me analyzing oh my gosh like what did you say in class like maybe you sounded kind of dumb and they're gonna say dude why did we accept this girl and it sounds like you know it sounds dumb but this is like reality this is stuff that happens to people and I can honestly share like these are things that sadly they happen to me um but I think that those are some of the barriers um some of the barriers I could definitely talk more about more various, but for now, I will just share those. <laughs> yes. Well, wow, that's that's a lot. And I feel like you said a lot of us um, feel like that. Like I also what, when you were talking, I was also like, oh, my gosh, that's what happened to me when I was getting my master's degree. I felt like I didn't belong. So you really, um, you know, hit the the what is it called? you really, you know, were very, you were accurate in how you described imposter syndrome, because I feel like a lot of us have experienced that. And we feel so lonely in the process. And it's definitely, um, it's definitely nice to hear that you also felt like that, because then it, it makes it more normal, you know, it like, nor it, it normalizes that we do have to struggle more because we are people of color who unfortunately are not in those spaces of, of, you know, of like getting a doctorate degree. Um, even you saying, um, in terms of your, of your speech, um, you know, I also felt like that too, where am I going to come out dumb? Like, am I going to sound stupid? You know, my program was very white as well. So when you were talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's someone that felt like me. So it's definitely nice to hear, that you went through a lot in your program, but you still pushed through and you overcame all of those fears, all of those anxieties that a lot of us don't talk about, unfortunately. And did you have somebody like a mentor eventually in your in your program or did you always feel isolated? Um, so I, that's a great question. Um, I will say that I always, um, so I had an advisor and so unfortunately all of the professors in my program were white. Um, and that's, I, I love my advisor, you know, but I think she always, and that's another reason why I love my advisor because she always understood, like, even though I, I could be a good advisor for you, I know that I'm, I'm white and I know you could benefit from like just having somebody else, like somebody who looks like you and somebody who, who just gets it right and so 
I unfortunately had to like seek that out outside of my university. So I had my advisor who I loved. I love her. I still um, connected to her. Um, but I, I did have to seek out um, external mentors. Um, and I think social media really helped me out in that sense that I could connect with other folks. And, um, and I was able to successfully like have some other mentors. And that's happened, I would say, a little bit later in my journey, maybe like my... I think fourth, like my fourth or la like my first, uh, my last two years of my program, like I was able to get some of that external mentorship. Um, and even in my, when writing my dissertation, actually, um, my advisor connected me with um, somebody who could be on my committee who was a Latina. And so see, this is what, where I say where it's like, unfortunately, I, I didn't have that mentorship in my program, but um you know, I took some initiative in finding external mentorship, but I also I would say that to some extent I had a a person, right, like a um a white person who wanted to help me find somebody too, and so she took that, those steps to find somebody who could mentor me through the dissertation um process that was Latina as well. Well, that's nice that she kind of made that possible for you, right? Because I think. But then it's also kind of messed up, too, because, you know, maybe she didn't want to try to understand you or your research interests. So that's mm -hmm. interesting, too, how maybe, you know, she kind of deviated. Oh, maybe she can help you because she understands your struggle. I don't want to deal with that. You know, it kind of, I don't know. Um, right? <laughs> yeah. So I will, I will say she, she, yeah. so she was my chair, actually. And so <laughs> she was part of my, uh, like, committee. So she... I think definitely try to understand, but I still think, you know, like, so she sought out, like, additional support. So she was, like, support, but then sought out additional support. Um, and so um, it's hard, right? Like, I think she tried the best that she could, um, but I appreciate it nevertheless, you know what I mean? Because I see a lot of folks who don't have those opportunities where it's, like, they're told this is who your mentor is going to be and that's who you get you know what I mean we're not even going to try to accommodate for you we're not going to try and find somebody else um so I think you know like I feel grateful in that sense like yeah like you know to, to, to just have been able to um have a little bit of support in that sense um and I think she like I said try the best she could um but like I said we sometimes it does it does take for us to have to like we need to have some initiative mm. ourselves because unfortunately wherever we go whatever system we're a part of um you know like you said technically it should be your job to try to connect me to someone right um but it doesn't happen a lot of the times right so a lot of the times unfortunately we are doing this labor for for ourselves right like because i need it um so that yeah that's definitely an unfortunate piece about I think when we talk about mentorship for, for um, Latino or like first-gen students. Yes, that's definitely a huge issue, I think, for a lot of us that where we feel isolated, we don't feel like we're part of our program sometimes. Um, but it's, you know, it takes for us to, you know, get the support that we need for us to be successful within our program. So that is mm -hmm. crucial, I think, for us to take the initiative, like you said. And then um, thank you for all of that information. I thought it was very helpful and very um, just informative. So thank you. And now moving on to your program specifically, um, you said school psychology. 
Why did you choose to study school psychology following your master's program completion? Uh, just please share maybe like um, what exactly you do within the school psychology realm. Sure. And so um, I actually um, learned about school psychology. Um, I think I was, I was applying to grad program, truthfully. And so again, this is like my... Um, me like trying to share to people like please do your research like I shouldn't have been learning about school psychology when I was applying to grad programs I mean I had some idea but then it wasn't truly until I got into the program that I was like oh okay well I do really like this you know um and so I learned about school psychology when I was applying to programs I think I truly truly learned about school psychology when I was doing it right like the first year of, of my program unfortunately but um, school psychology, I would say, is um, essentially uh, we do, we practice or deliver psychological services in schools, um, but really I think it's um, it's a field that falls within the, the intersection between school and, um, I should say, education and psychology, right? Um, and so that to me was like the first thing that really sort of sparked just like my interest, the fact that it falls between Two fields that for me, like, you know, I respect and I feel like there's just a lot of work that needs to be done. And so school psychologists do a ton of things. Um, and so another, just another shout out for all the school psychologists out there, but um, we do a lot of things. And so um, we do assessment, um, assessment of students. Um, we um, provide counseling and therapy to students. Uh, within the school setting, we also consult with teachers um, at the classroom-based level and at the individual um, student level. Um, we also consult um, with like principals sometimes. We do um, try and do a lot of system change right within the schools. Um, try to advocate for just like better um, supports for students, um, just to to I think increase learning right and to. Um, just increase, I think, um, just well-being of students within the, you know, within the setting. Um, so that's just like a brief overview. But we do we do a ton of things. Um, but a lot of people, unfortunately, think that all we do is like provide assessment within the schools, right? That we test students and try to figure out if they qualify uh, for special education or not. But we do so so much more more than that. Um, and I know that. Um, you know, um, this work is, is definitely hard, but it's definitely very, um, definitely very worth it. Yes, of course. And I'm also a, a school psychologist. Um, I've been working now for five years within the field. Um, but I think I had shared with you that um, I guess for me, I, I found it very cool that you um, do something outside of the school setting, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to ask you more about that, like uh, maybe yeah. some of your job duties, if that's mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, for folks listening, I am actually practicing outside of the school setting. So I am in a hospital university setting. Um, and so I'm completing my, like my postdoc right now. And so I pursued um, just like this type of opportunity um, because I wanted to see like what was outside of the school setting, if I'm being honest. And that was another one of the reasons why I pursued a PhD because I wanted just to have more flexibility in what I could do. Not to say that, you know, if you don't pursue a PhD, like you can't do that, but 
I just wanted to also be able to like supervise um, at the, you know, at any setting that I could go to. And so those are, those are some of the things I was thinking when I, um, you know, was pursuing a PhD, but anyhow, so I am at a hospital university setting and essentially I am in a team of clinical psychologists. So there are no other school psychologists um, in my team. Um, essentially, uh, we do, um, you know, evaluations. We do a lot of the things, um, you know, that school psychologists do already, but it, it's just different, like, because we have to take a different lens, right? Like a more clinical psychology slash, like, medical lens, right? And so we do, like, different things. Like, I currently work at um, a clinic for anxiety, like, in, it's, it's called, like, the stress and anxiety clinic. Um, and essentially, we see a lot of uh, cases where, you know, um, for depression, anxiety, a lot of trauma. Um, so we do evaluations for that. And so, you know, that's very similar to just like the evaluations we do as school psychologists and the assessment processes that we go through as school psychologists in the schools. Some of the things I do is um, we do a lot of like problem solving within the teams. And again, very similar to what we do in schools. Um, I also do a lot of um, just um, like community outreach and like I um, contact, I think a lot of like school partners to try and figure out if there's a need that I could support them with, right? As, as a school psychologist, um, a lot of the times we are seeing like kids with trauma. Um, our center is like focused most mainly on trauma. So like I go out and like consult with schools on like Sometimes, you know, individually, individual cases, like, okay, this kid needs support. He's been through a lot of trauma or she's been through a lot of trauma or they've been through a lot of trauma. How can I support them? Um, but a lot of it is also just like how to become more trauma-informed as a school. And so I provide a lot of consultation on that and try to like collaborate with um, just like schools, right? And then within the community, also collaborate with a lot of um, community-based organizations. Um, so that's just a little bit um of some of the roles that I that I have um but you know I would say that our um our skills are definitely transferable at school psychologists I think there's not a lot of knowledge on what we can do you know and all the the duties and roles that we have um in a given week right um just like all the things we do right and so I think we we definitely have a very unique lens and I feel like we we need more of us in other settings <laughs> Yes, you know, thank you so much for sharing all of that, because I, I think a lot of school psychologists feel like they can only work in schools. And um, oftentimes we limit ourselves to just working in the school setting. And like you shared, we do a lot of assessment for special ed, you know, for like special ed placement. So it's definitely helpful to hear that you pursued a higher education, so you got your PhD in school psychology, but you were also a school psychologist um, within the school setting. So you got, you know, to experience that also, but, you know, you're sharing that with that experience, you were able to apply that into more of a clinical field, right? So, um, and now you work with clinical psychologists. So that's really awesome to hear because I think, like a lot of us just feel like we can only do schools, but it's nice because you could pursue a higher education and maybe get out of the school setting that way. So that's definitely helpful for me to hear. So thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, a few more questions here. Why? Oh, here we go. 
So may you please share any advice for other Latina women thinking or currently pursuing their PhD and or psych D, please? Yeah, and I feel like uh, I'm probably going to repeat myself. Um, I feel like I've definitely shared a lot of, um, you know, advice that I, I would have, right? Um, but like one of the things for sure is making sure that you you think about um, this decision, right, of, of pursuing a PhD in FIB. It's a huge time commitment. Um, it's something that is a huge investment, right? Um, you're putting in, like I was saying, like you're putting in time, you're putting in money, um, you're putting in a lot of um, just energy, right? And a lot of times it, it, it takes a toll on our emotional health, right? And our physical health. And it's a huge part of our life, right? Even whether we, we, we want it or not, you know? And so I would say definitely spend time uh, making sure that this is something that you want. And, you know, if, um, if your dream career can be done without having to pursue a PhD, I would definitely say don't do a PhD. <laughs> like, that's the first thing I would just want to say, right? Like, I think a lot of people um, pursue PhDs, um, you know, just like, because it sounds nice, right? Like, please let that, like, I hope that that's not your your um decision for pursuing a PhD like make sure it's something that you want that is going to be lead you to your dream career right like for me I know I wanted to be um you know I wanted to be all the things right I, I know I wanted to be a faculty at some point I knew maybe I wanted for, to pursue private practice I knew that I wanted to supervise students right and so pursuing a PhD made sense to me um just because of all those things right because again it, it lies within you know the just the scope of of what I want to do and so I, that that was definitely my first piece of advice um my second piece of advice is um definitely don't let folks tell you um try to limit you right or try to tell you like well you can't do that because you did xyz or you didn't um past psychology 101 right in undergrad or you didn't do um you know you didn't do research or whatever like don't try to let um don't let folks try to tell you that um just some other things I want to share about myself so I actually did poorly in high school um like very bad <laughs> in high school um in college I definitely like stepped it up but you know there's I think a lot of um just beliefs that society has right like you have to follow a very perfect path to be you know a PhD or to be able to um just like you know pursue higher education and that's not true right um we all have the opportunity to start all over again right like if we mess up high school um sometimes even undergrad you know we don't have to have the most perfect GPA um we can always um start again, right? And we can always try and change our path. And there's no one that can tell us what we can or can't pursue. And I've seen a lot of other folks who I know would agree with me on this. Um, people who, you know, have shared with me, like, this was my GPA in undergrad. And nevertheless, like, I was able to make it into graduate school, you know, and I was able to, to change it around for myself. And so that's definitely one thing that I, that I, another piece of advice that I want to remind um, Latina women, Latino folks in general, like, no one can stop you. If you really want this, like, no one can stop you. Um, 
And yeah, another piece of advice that comes to mind is don't think that you ever have to abandon your culture or your upbringing or who you are or your background um, when you enter a PhD program. I know that these institutions would probably enjoy that, would probably want that, right? But don't let them take that away from you ever. Go in, right? Take your seat because you belong there and um, just, you know, authentically be you, right? You deserve it. You made it there for a reason. Um, I think that's my last piece of advice. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm sure a lot of whoever listens to us is going to find that extremely important because it's coming from you, you know, and you made it to, you know, your, your uh, doctorate. So I think it's definitely um, important to hear that you, you know, weren't um, the best student in high school, but you still pushed yourself to overcome all of those obstacles that you had gone through in terms of your grades. And you were still able to you know, get into a PhD program. So thank you for sharing that experience. And also the the fact that you're saying that don't let, you know, always embrace who you are, always embrace your culture um, and always be yourself because it's important for us to not forget where we come from, especially when we're in these realms that aren't really built for us we kind of tend to alienate ourselves or feel like we're not, like you said, we don't belong here. So we don't speak up. We don't want to share out in class because we don't feel like our words matter or we feel like we're stupid. So I think um, it's definitely nice to highlight that because you're not alone in feeling like that. Um, a lot of us feel, you know, the the same way that, that you felt. Um, and then... Ooh, that was emotional. And then the uh, last few questions here. What are you currently working on within your area of expertise, such as maybe research, professional development, or personal projects? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, currently trying to figure out my life. Um, unfortunately, you know, I think people think um, that, you know, because you are finished your PhD, you finish with your degree like you have your act together and you do not by any means I do not I'm still like trying to figure out like what I want to do right next or, or what I want to continue doing like with my life and for me it's always been an issue of like I want to do work that's meaningful right and so I'm really trying to figure it out but one of the big things that I'm doing just like for my professional development um so I am currently like I was saying doing a postdoc um my goal is to become a licensed um, psychologist. And so this is why I'm doing a postdoc. And so um, it requires a lot of like um, direct service hours. And so that's one of the things that's in the works, like becoming a licensed psychologist. And that's just another story for another day because that whole process of becoming a licensed psychologist is just, um, you know, just very, there's definitely a lot of um, hurdles to jump. And even though, like I said, even though I'm done, right, with my education, like, it doesn't stop there, right? Like, I have to keep going and do some other things and take some other exams, and it's just very annoying, but that's one of the things that I have in progress. Um, some other things I'm really trying to do, um, so my research interest, as I told you, um, 
lie within trauma-informed schools. And um, my dissertation was on trauma professional development for teachers. And so I hope to continue doing some research in this area. And I think right now um, it's kind of a tough um, tough situation because I think everyone has very levels of professional development on trauma, right? Um, there's also very little information on how much, how much um, training on trauma um, pre-service teachers are receiving, right? And so I think that there needs to be like a standardized um, you know, set of training that teachers receive on trauma. Um, so I have to continue doing more research on, on that aspect. But one of the things that I do have in the works right now, um, I'm actually working with some newcomer immigrant youth. Um, and they're, um, um, I think there just needs to be a better understanding of the trauma that they may, um, you know, come to this country with. And then obviously continue to endure here in this country and in school settings. And so one of my biggest goals is to continue to understand, to, I think, just understand, right, and provide some knowledge to folks on, like, this is, you know, what um, this these youth are coming with, right? And um, hopefully being able to also develop some sort of mental health curriculum um, or intervention that better fits their needs because I think right now um you know in the psychology world, world there's a lot of evidence-based interventions a lot of you know great things in theory but there's a lot of flaws truthfully still in a lot of these evidence-based interventions and for our kiddos right like there's a lot of things that need to be met like in terms of like language like cultural cultural relevance um and just like a lot of I think inclusion of, of systems, right? Because um, a lot of the issues that our kids have, like they occur because of certain systems and a lot of um, policies in our um, education system and in the government too, unfortunately. And so that's another thing that I'm, that I'm ha currently having the works and I hope to do um, more research on. Very, very nice. And I definitely hear you in terms of the trauma-informed practices in schools. I think a lot of our teachers do not um, get trained. And I think especially in this day and age with um, school shootings and all of that, we need to really educate our, our, our teachers, the admin teams about how to address students, how to prevent bullying, because it's something that is impacting our schools more and more. Um, and then the other piece that you shared um, in terms of your personal projects with the youth that come from other countries, um, that's crucial too, because we don't hear their, their, their stories. We don't hear their, um, their, you know, their backgrounds in terms of being an immigrant and how, how difficult that could be to navigate the educational system or just the American values here, right? It's very very different here in America. So definitely transitioning is another important topic. And also you becoming, a uh, you said a licensed psychologist. So does that mean getting your, is it, you have, you have to pass an exam for that, right? Yes. It's called the, um, we call it the E triple P. I don't really know what it stands for. <laughs> um, but essentially every like clinical counseling school psychology, like you know, student, well, at least anyone who wants to pursue like private practice or want to supervise in the future, like that's something that most, a lot of us pursue, um, that licensure, and we do have to sit for an exam, unfortunately. 
<laughs> yes, that's that's like the sucky part about these programs because we still need to do so much to you know get where we want to get. Um, mm -hmm. it's not it's you know especially like the credentialing piece of it. Yes, we can get a school psychology you know mm -hmm. doctorate, but we still need the the licensure, right? So it's definitely, I bet a lot of just um very time consuming so good yes, luck with sure. all of that you will do great i'm looking forward to hearing when you do get your um licensure right so that's thank exciting. you so much and then lastly the last question here is outside of your professional career what are your hobbies or your passions how do you like spending your time when you're not working yeah, that's uh, one, one of my favorite questions. <laughs> um, and I would say, I will say after my, my PhD program, um, that's definitely something that I'm trying to focus more on, like finding, um, re finding and reconnecting with a lot of my hobbies and passions and things that I really, really enjoy doing. And so one of the things um, that I do outside of my, my career um, recently got into folklorico dancing. I know I've like shared this many times on my page, but ever since I was little, that was something like I dreamed like about doing. And so I finally took that initiative um, and decided, well, like I'm not in a program anymore. I don't have like a ton of work to do, right? Like in the afternoons or like on the weekends. So I can finally devote some time to take taking these classes. And so I'm actually doing that, uh, really enjoying it. Um, so that's like one of my biggest hobbies and I don't have a year uh, doing this yet um, but I'm very excited about how that's going. Um, some of the things I really like doing, um, definitely spending time with my family as much as possible. Um, I love hanging out with my dad. My dad is, I call him my homie sometimes, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, so I definitely love spending time with my family. Um, I have two sisters so I love spending time with them. Um, I love exploring just like new restaurants and I've been in the Chicagoland area for so long, but that's still something that I love doing. Like just love venturing out and finding like new coffee shops, like new restaurants. Um, I feel like that's where most of my money goes truthfully, like not to clothes or other stuff like that. It's like for, for food. <laughs> that's one thing I was thinking about today. Um, some other things just, you know, generally I think reading books, I finally have time to read more books and that's something that I've also just been fighting um, with um, just like an eternal battle of like finding time to to read enjoyable things. Because I think in grad school we're like told, read this, read this. And it's all like, to me, some of it is enjoyable, but it's all like, you know, work or education related and like not fun, not education related, right? And so that's definitely something that over these past few years um, I've been doing more and I'm going to continue. Um, yeah, that's, I think pretty much it. <laughs> wow. Well, that's so cool to hear that you are embracing also like your culture right now by you dancing Florico. That is so neat. That's so yeah, cool. I really love it. <laughs> and then also, um, that you are, you know, you love to spend time with your family and that's super important to, to keep yourself grounded. I'm assuming, right. Because especially in your type of career, it could be so overwhelming from what you shared about your duties. So it's definitely nice to hang out with family that could, you know, treat us like 
were the same in terms of like that child that they helped raise mm -hmm. you know it's nice to go back to that comfort yeah for oh, sure. you know this is the end of our podcast episode I really learned a lot about you Myra and I greatly appreciate the influence that you have on a lot of our you know people because I think it's it's nice to hear your journey and that it wasn't a linear journey you had to you know put in the work you had to fall a few times to make it back up um and it's nice to hear that because oftentimes we don't see ourselves in those places or in those types of positions. So I really thank you for joining us today. And, um, you know, if you could just share out maybe your social media information, if our listeners want to follow you so they can gain more insight on your day to day. Sure. Um, and again, thank you so much for the invitation. It was such a, a joy to, to get to spend some time with you and, and talk to you and chat about um you know all of this um but my social media accounts where people can find me um i'm only on instagram and on twitter and so on instagram it's becoming a doctora um and then on twitter it's uh, mayra e gaona um and then you know um yeah i think those are <laughs> those are the two i'm like trying to figure out if i'm forgetting something but no those are the two um but again thank you <laughs> of course thank you for for being here and there you have it folks um that's her information and um you know i'm very happy that we got to meet today and yeah anything else you want to share out any shout outs you have <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> all right well i'm gonna stop recording